The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out This podcast episode is dedicated to a very special lady, Javin Koo, office manager at Robert Waters, that retired in June 2020 after 22 years at Robert Waters Singapore. So this episode is for you, Javin. Enjoy your well-deserved retirement. Hi, my name is Andrea Ross from The Career Establishment and your host for Talent Talk Asia. Today, my guest and friend is Mark Elwood, former Managing Director of Robert Waters for Southeast Asia and now Managing Director, founder of Elwood Consulting with offices in Singapore and Malaysia. Mark led the award-winning business for Robert Waters for Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, Vietnam and Indonesia offices for 15 years, resulting in record results and being responsible for developing some of the best talent in the market. We have split this cast into two episodes for your listening pleasure. In part one, Mark shares his career beginning from graduating in theology at Durham, UK, and enrolling on the graduate training scheme at Michael Page, where he spent two years focusing on the contract side of banking before moving to Singapore to run the Singapore office for Robert Waters. He will share his experiences at moving from the UK to Singapore, his career progression from billing consultant to managing director, and the challenges at running multiple offices across the region at such a young age. He'll share with you what he sees as the key differences recruiting in Singapore to the less mature markets and much more. In part two, Mark will share his his experiences in running high performing businesses and will impart advice to those looking to move into a management role on how to attract and develop top talent in the market to give you a competitive edge. He'll share how he transitioned from running a powerhouse to a boutique business, how his business adapted during COVID and what the future looks like for Elwood Consulting. In true Mark style, there will be entertaining stories along the way to keep you captivated and inspired. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm not too bad, Andrew. Um, although uh, you've caught me in a, a bit of a strange situation today. And I'm glad you're doing a podcast with me today because uh, I'm actually in a hotel room in, in quarantine in Singapore. Oh, gosh. How's that been? Uh, I'm on day 10. Uh, so I think I get released on, on Tuesday. I, I mean, with the, with the announcements last week, I thought I'd get early parole or good behaviour today. But um I had the ICA people come around and knock on the door just to check uh, that I was uh, still in the room, uh, that I hadn't run away. Um, but no, I, uh, I've got to go through till Tuesday. Oh, um, God. So how strict is it then? How strict is it over there in terms of being in the hotel room and stuff? 
Well, it's, 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 well, one, it's quite an interesting exercise in terms of you just have no human interaction with anybody whatsoever in terms of face-to-face. So when, when, when I first arrived, because I had to go back to the UK for a couple of days for some personal reasons and then came back. So basically, I didn't know where I was going to go. Um, they don't tell you. Um, they put you on a bus when you arrive at Changi uh, with your sort of fellow chain gang members uh, and then uh, bus you to a hotel. So... You know, on the way, we, we were coming down Beach Road, and I was thinking, oh, it could, could be the Intercontinental. Um, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, it's going to be Raffles. Uh, yeah, anyway, right. Uh, I doubt Raffles yeah. put, it, put anyone up there. So we set, uh, we're at the uh, JW Marriott. That's uh, all right. Is, That's yeah. a nice one. I'd, not Yeah, not, not too bad at all. But it was quite funny because when we, when we got there, they, they, they basically gave us a bit of a talk and then said, look, the CCTV everywhere. Um, we'll give you a key card. Uh, as soon as you open the door to your room, uh, it's electronic uh, and it'll be deactivated. So you can't leave your room. Um, I have a chair outside where uh, my food is put, my linen, I can God, put laundry it's... out. Prison um, cell block H, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And then um, I, get, I normally get one, one visit a day from uh, people from the ICA sort of knocking on the door. Um, as I say, I get food left on my chair. So it's like knock the door on. Somebody knocks, rings the doorbell and then runs away. So I don't get to see them. Um, and then I get a link uh, two or three times a day on my phone. So I've got to leave my phone on 24 hours a day. Um, oh, so no afternoon which, naps then? You can't have a little so two, three hour well, nap? Not, not, not evening naps when my brother accidentally calls me at three o'clock in the morning from the UK. Uh, that didn't happen. Oh, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, you have to pay, press on a link um, and it, it finds your sort of location. And then... <laughs> The, um, the, the, the most weird one was uh, on, the, on sort of the second day, I, I, I got a phone call, uh, a WhatsApp call uh, from a lady at, uh, ask, who introduced herself from the ICA. Um, and obviously, because I'm in a hotel room and by myself, yeah. you know, I wasn't quite sort of properly attired, shall we say. Um, <laughs> did you have clothes on? I did, well, so, and she, so she like, introduced herself, <laughs> asked me to check who, who, who I am and everything else. Uh, and then she goes, uh, now I'm just going to switch to a video call uh, to check you're actually in the, in the room. And I was like, um, yeah, I'm not quite properly dressed. And a uh, poor, poor lady's obviously been in the situation before. She goes, it's okay. I, I don't need to look at you. I just need to look at the room. Uh, and then I obviously forgot the room's just like full of mirrors. I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> but anyway, she, um, she's been calling me on a daily basis. So, uh, She's not actually from the authorities. She's just some random caller that's managed to get you with no clothes on every time you've answered the call. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's 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 made it's made it's made me dress up a little bit better first thing in the morning. Anyway. Oh god, that's hilarious. Well, <laughs> but, uh, one good anyway, thing. Yeah, one good thing. Uh, out, out on Tuesday. <laughs> well, one good thing is that I managed to get you get you for a, at least an hour uninterrupted then with being in COVID. No, so that's one good thing. Done, I say you've done, done me a massive favour. It's great actually. Being able to have some, you know, uh, seeing your face and do some human interaction. Yeah, I know. Exactly. Now, we are dedicating this podcast to Javin Koo, aren't we? So this... Yeah, this I mean, po- Go on, Mark. No, I was just saying, obviously, you know, she's um, she's going to be retiring, I believe, uh, at, the, at the end of the month. Um, and tw- 22 years um, with, with Robert Walters, you know, she's a real institution, isn't she? Yeah, uh, absolutely. A fantastic servant. So for those listening out there, Javin Koo is the office manager for Robert Walters Singapore. She's been there 22 years. She she um, finishes up and retires 
in June 2020, depending on when you're listening to this, and she was very much the matriarch of the Singapore office. So we are dedicating this podcast to you, Javin. So enjoy. Um, She was the very first hire in the Singapore office. Was she the very first hire? She was Kevin's very first hire uh, in the Singapore office. Um, And I think, hopefully I'm not talking out of school here, I, I think she had a potential opportunity with Merrill Lynch um and with with, uh, with Kevin. Uh, yeah um but yeah no i think you know she was a great support to the both of us over the years she and, very um, much was yeah and it was also also great as you said in terms of the major art because i think um you know um if, if, if you ever had to have a conversation with somebody or sort of keep them on the toes it was you know it wasn't really you know you're gonna have a chat with Andrew or have a chat with mark it's like mm, i'm not so sure javin would like that no <laughs> i know got, people got, are more scared got, of dealing, talking to javin than they were us we were a walkover <laughs> Yeah, you have to go through Javin. Whew, I tell you, that's the toughest part. So let's let's address the title in the podcast, Choir Boy to MD of Elwood Consulting. So rumour has it that you wanted to be a priest. Now, is that true? Is that why you took theology? Was that the path for, for Mr. Elwood? I, th- I thought it was more in relation to my karaoke efforts. Uh, <laughs> what do I know about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, so did I want to did I, did I be a priest? Uh, no, uh, I actually wanted to be the Pope. Um, you know, <laughs> so ambitious. Always, always ambitious from a young age. Um, so, um, you know, actually, there's it, a bit of a story behind that in terms of um, why I actually did theology um, uh, and in terms of getting to Durham. Because uh, I, um, I, I, with the school that I went to, the, the headmaster was one of those that sort of, um, you know, sold, sold the school on how many people you could get into Oxbridge. Um, right. So you know, it was uh, it was one of those, and, and basically put people forward. You know, every every year to sort of you know go, go down the Oxbridge uh, um, uh, route, and I I was sort of uh, uh, put down for potentially doing English uh, at Oxford, and then on the day of my A level results, um, uh, yeah, I didn't really get quite the results <laughs> that uh, that was going to be needed. Um, <laughs> It was a sort of a, it was a B, two C's and a D. Uh, what was a D? Um, so, uh, the, the D was, um, uh, that was a, a general studies, I think. Yeah. Right. What's general yeah. studies? Uh, just, yeah, like general knowledge. Right. Um, just cro- <laughs> You're rubbish at that on pub quizzes for general knowledge. <laughs> yes. That doesn't, doesn't surprise me, to be honest. No. <laughs> so, um, so, so, my, so my dad was obviously looking at my dad, who's obviously paid for this education. Uh, and not quite where we're expected to be. Um, and he's just a very practical bloke. So he said to me, well, you know, what, what, what was your best grade? And I said, you know, B was in theology because I did theology A-level. Uh, and he goes, um, well, I don't think you're going to go to Oxford with, with those results. Um, so you've got two choices. Um, you can either repeat a year um, or, you know, you could look at doing theology. And I'm like, oh, I really don't want to repeat a year. So he was like, well, where's, where's the best place in the country to do theology? Uh, and I said, Durham. So he goes, right, well, let's get in the car and we'll drive to Durham. And then we'll work our way down. So this is actually on the day of my A-level results. Oh, um, God, pressure. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking you're, you're mad. So anyway, we, we did a, a three-hour drive, three, three four-hour drive from Manchester to Durham. Um, and basically, just knocked on the door and, uh, of the head of the, the department. And, you know, this is the day of A-level results. So we sat there. And there's people ringing in going, oh, you know, my, my, my daughter's only got two A's and a B instead of three A's. You know, is she still OK to get in? And I'm there with my B, two C's and a D. Um, but my, my, my father actually, I mean, I come from my background, my family background. They're, they're quite religious sort of in terms of Catholic background. My dad 
actually thought about becoming a priest and trained in the English College in Rome. My mum thought about becoming a nun. Obviously, didn't actually happen because that's why I'm here. Um, <laughs> but he's, um, he's talking to this sort of head of the uh, department uh, and they're chatting away and no one's really talking to me because they're on the same sort of wavelength. And he's Greek. Uh, and my dad had recently been on a holiday to Greece, so they're swapping stories. Oh, it was a done et cetera, et cetera. deal, wasn't it? It was a done deal. And he hasn't, he hasn't asked me anything at this stage. Um, and then the, the thing with Durham is it's, it's a bit like Oxford and Cambridge in like it's a collegiate university. So you have to get into a faculty, the, right. the course of study, and then you have to get into a college. Um, anyway, the phone goes, and for whatever reason, somebody's declined you know, uh, a place on the course. They get, they've decided to go somewhere else. Um, and then about 10, 15 minutes later, another phone uh, goes, and basically uh, one of the colleges calls him up and says, oh, um, somebody's uh, decided not to join, uh, so we've got a free place in the college if, if you've got anybody that you want to send. And he suddenly goes, oh, I've got this wonderful bloke in front of me, uh, you know, who, um, who really uh, wanted to do geography. And I was like, oh, I never said anything about geography. Um, I was going to do English. And I'm, I'm like, this is the head of the theology department lying. <laughs> Telling porkies, or uh, well, maybe he just sort of misheard. And he goes, he's, he's, he's a wonderful, intelligent bloke. He's had a really in-depth, <laughs> you know, interesting you conversation. Minutes. And I'm like, is he talking about me or my dad? Because <laughs> this is my dad going back to university. Um, so anyway, one thing leads to another. And he says, yeah, I'd love to have him on the course. And, um, you know, uh, perhaps, you, you know, you could interview him as well. So anyway, went quickly round to the college. Was expecting to have another very in-depth uh, interview. And they said, oh, well, you know, the head of the theology department think, think, thinks you're great and has obviously done a thorough check on you. So uh, would you like to come? Oh, my God. <laughs> that was, thank God for Dad. That secured so, your future. Uh, I was unbelievable. Um, but also I remember there was another lady with me at the time, a good friend of mine, who was in a sort of similar situation and missed out on her grades. Uh, and then, unfortunately, she, she, you know, she tried something we did at the, at the same time. We gave her a lift and it didn't quite work out for her. And uh, she went on to, to do like a doctorate, um, you know, and, and um, got a PhD. Um, and, and she now lectures on uh, chemical warfare and uh, advises the government and, and, and things like that in the UK. And I, I sometimes wonder, you know, <laughs> did Durham really make the right choice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was that was Katrina, right? You were mentioning there. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, 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 yeah, we... so ultimately, I, I, I always tell myself now, you know, when people talk about my background, they say, "Oh, that you did theology." I go, "Yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm the only ethical recruitment consultant there is. You know, I've I've got the the certificate to prove it." <laughs> so when you so when you when we first met, obviously that was many moons ago, um, when we both had less, when we had maybe dark hair as opposed to grey hair now. Um, we both met on the graduate training scheme at Michael Page in London. You know, what prompted you to join? Because that was straight after university, wasn't it? Did you go straight from there or did you do something No, so, I, um, so I think like a lot of people, I fell into recruitment. Um, so, you know, after leaving university, um, you know, with a theology degree thinking, oh, you know, now what do I do? Um, <laughs> yeah. I... I, I sort of fell into recruitment. Um, but I suppose, it, interestingly, though, it, it is quite interesting because the thing with someone like theology, it's, it's all about opinions, it's discussions, mm. uh, it, it's debates, you know, who's right, who's wrong. Um, and I think, obviously, you know, many years ago when we both first joined recruitment, you know, it, to be honest, it was quite a bit of a, you know, a boozy drinking type of culture. Mm, yeah. um, and, um, you know, my, my degree was eight hours of lectures a week and the rest of the time spent in the pub. So, um, you know, it was, it was quite a good... So you um, fitted in perfectly train, then. Yeah, you had yeah, the skills already. Yeah. 
Um, so I'd, um, I'd actually joined, I'd, I'd gone back uh, home and I, I was living in Manchester at the time and I'd sort of, uh, fallen into this recruitment firm that I joined in, uh, in the Northwest in Manchester. Um, and I joined them. Um, and it was, you know, I enjoyed the job. Um, but it was, in terms of the culture, you know, it was an American firm. Let's just say it was like, you know, it was just a bit sort of odd. Um, you know, when you made a placement, you know, you sort of ring a bell, um, you'd have a morning meeting and there was lots of high fives. Um, you sort of do those sort of power hours where you had to stand, stand up and your chairs would all be taken away or you'd stand yeah, on your desk. Yeah. It was all a bit cheesy and contrived really. <laughs> um, and then it was also, it was a bit weird. It was like a little bit of a pyramid scheme. So you had the, you had one guy at the top who was the sales guy, client facing, going out, getting the roles. And then you had two people underneath who were basically researchers calling candidates, uh, finding them individuals and it was contract. And then once that triangle got to a, a certain level of, of revenue, that triangle would split. Um, so the person who was the sales guy doing the client basically got all the commission. Um, and, oh, and the researchers were just on a, a very low basic salary. So obviously the incentive was when that triangle split was to become the next salesperson. Right. But what they tended to do was you'd have like an office vote um, and anybody in, in, you know, in that sort of research uh, level uh, uh, could, could become a, a salesperson. So you'd all vote for each other and you'd be basically voting for each other in terms of who could go into a commission role. Um, That's weird. So it always ended up being quite tactical voting and yeah. you just end up with probably the numpty in the office and you know, being the person who ended yeah, up that's, being... that's really odd. Yeah, it was, it was all very, very strange. So basically, I, I decided that, you know, I enjoyed recruitment. I loved the job, mm. um, but just, you know, felt I, I needed some bit more sort of professional training, um, you know, um, you know, just more, you know, in terms of just the environment. Um, and, and therefore, that's why I joined the, the graduate training scheme. So how did you in, hear in, about uh, it then? Because it was London, you were in Manchester. So how yeah, did it was the... in London? I, I think, I, I think it probably was advertised or I'd been doing some research just in terms of, you know, I'd fall into recruitment, you know, with this organization, what, you know, enjoyed the job, but it wasn't really enjoying the organization. So therefore was looking at a, a, other areas and feeling that I wanted to go into something where, you know, I would get that sort of training, that yeah. development and everything yeah. else. And then saw that graduate scheme. So, you know, it was an opportunity to move to London. Um, and, and I suppose in some respects you could say, well, you know, did I take a step back, you know, because I was already doing recruitment and, you know, I was going into a graduate scheme and, you know, I think in, and life found in recruitment, sometimes, it, you know, it's quite a good thing to do. Um, you don't always have to look to sort of go on that upwards uh, trajectory. Yeah, um, but I think also from a training perspective, it was it was always going to be more sort of superior, isn't it, within Michael Page? So for those that aren't, weren't, aren't familiar with maybe what that graduate scheme looked like, talk me through, if you can remember, because it was quite a long time ago now. How was that? Yeah. It was a year, year programme, wasn't it? And people would sort of rotate around different areas. So... What, yeah, what, talk me through so that. It was, a, it was a it was a twelve month program. So for for us, you and I were obviously on, on the same one. Um, we we were attached to the city office, which was basically financial services. Yeah. Um, and then you know you were sort of um, you know rotated around, um, as you said, different teams. You know, on a on a, on a three month basis. Permanent um, contract though, wasn't it? It was permanent and yeah, contract it per, desks. It was permanent and contract. Mm. Um, <laughs> I remember. Do you remember the first day they gave us a quiz? Um, 
you know, to test our sort of, you know, banking knowledge. Oh, um, God, I found it. Jesus, I could just I, about spell banking. I, well, I, I, I remember <laughs> one of the questions was like, um, so what did the FTSE 100 close at the, the night before? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, and we'd just God. been given our business card, so I just wrote down my telephone number. <laughs> <laughs> But I remember. But I remember. I mean, I remember being tested constantly on kind of stock prices or all these things that were. You know, we had to read the Financial Times every single day, and I can't remember the the, the much older gentleman that was that we really liked that had a lot of ethics. Uh, and Paul. Paul. What was Paul's surname? Paul Wilson. Paul um, Wilson. I really liked him. It was definitely sort of a more traditional, a little bit quite strict, but actually I think he had some really good morals about him and, and he... Yeah, you knew, where, you knew where you stood with Paul. I mm. think he's running the, uh, a sales and marketing recruitment firm in the Northeast these days. Is he? Uh, I had okay. a chat with him a few years ago, but yeah. And actually, um, he, I, I, I spent a bit of time with him because I think it was him that sold a project to Capital One in, you remember the credit yes. card company that yes. was setting up in the, in, uh, mm. in England and they were setting up in Nottingham. Um, and as so basically as part of my sort of rotation, I actually got to work on that project um, in terms of looking at hiring their initial team in, in Nottingham, um, which was, you know, at my age, you know, experience, you know, it was, uh, it was great. Um, I mean, looking back, I, I'd say 12 months was probably quite a long time, um, you, you know, in terms of, in not you wanted to obviously speak to clients, start working on roles and everything else. There? Um, you were twelve months sat doing doing that project role then. No, I, I did it for I did I think it was about probably about three months because as I said you rotated every right, three months right. so that was like a, a three months. I didn't think you were um, that long. So for me, you know, I felt I was actually you know in doing you know recruitment and everything else. Um, so I, I think as a scheme, you know, obviously it's investment, it's time. Um, it, it, you know, it was, it was a good thing for us to be able to do, but but I, I think probably you know twelve months was was quite a long time. Six months would probably be in about right. Yeah, but it's not it's not such a common thing now, is it, to have graduate training schemes within? I don't think the big firms do that anymore, right? Unless I'm wrong. No, I think it's hard. I, you know, I think ultimately, you know, this was twenty odd years ago. Um, so I, I think for for firms in that sort of mid to senior level management mm. um you know if you're in this if you're in the sort of staffing segments maybe it might be different but i think in mid to senior management these days you know clients obviously you know w- want to be talking to specialists people who know what they're doing not necessarily fresh fresh face uh, graduates so you know credibility is key so i suppose what a lot of organizations do these days is is maybe bring people in more from a research perspective um, initially, start them off as researchers, mm, mm. you know, sort of doing more of a, you know, a, a 180 uh, type of role, then maybe moving them into a role, you know, if they've got PSLs, perhaps a little bit more sort of account management. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good idea. You know, 270 mm. and then, you know, going into a full 360 role. Um, but, but I think, you know, the, the reality is, you know, in t- terms of trying to bring people in straight from as, as graduates, you know, giving them that time to develop, you know, in, in, in the current markets that we're yeah. working on, it's, yeah, it's, it's difficult to do these days. Yeah, really big investment. Um, now, I, I remember, I mean, I mean, obviously, let's fast forward a few years after um, when you when you start looking at Singapore. I remember, I still remember the day pretty pretty clearly when you said, I'm, I'm going to Singapore. I'm going to go and work for Robert Waters. And I had absolutely no idea where Singapore was, I have to say. I think I had to Google it, find out where it was in the world. Um, what were sort of the motivations for you at that time then to 
to move out of Michael Page and join Robert Waters and fly to the, move to the other side of the world? Um, I think for me, it was a, it was a couple of reasons. Um, I think the first was simply the opportunity to live and work overseas. Mm. Um, you know, my, my, my parents, before I was born, had spent a few years living in Italy. Um, uh, and my brother and sister uh, were, were, were born, born at that time. Uh, so I didn't, you know, have that experience, although I probably wouldn't have remembered it. Um, I, I didn't have a gap year uh, before going to university or after, you know, going to university. And I think when you're at uni, you can really notice those people who've had that year, yeah, you know, sort yeah. of overseas, uh, just in terms of their maturity levels and everything else. Um, you know, and also at the time, you know, what was that, 24, young, no commitments. Um so I thought, you know, it'd be, you know, an easy move to make, you know, with very little downside. Um, and, and I think, you know, in recruitment at that time, if you were thinking about moving overseas, the obvious places to go would be like Australia, yeah. maybe America, yeah. um, not really Asia. Mm. Um, and actually, you know, just coincidentally, you know, about six or seven months beforehand, I'd actually been to, to, to Asia with some friends. Um, with my husband. Before the opportunity came up. Oh, yes, your husband being <laughs> one of them. Um, <laughs> maybe some stories aside. From the no, that's another life. podcast. <laughs> um, so, so, so I'd been out to the region, albeit on a holiday, um, you know, but, but also, you know, Singapore's an English-speaking country. And, you know, unfortunately, I'm not great with languages. So it had to be sort of an English-speaking country. You know, it was an opportunity to, to experience something very different, different culture, you know, from where I'd grown up in mm. sort of, you know, St. Anne's Blackpool or yeah. Moss Side, Manchester. Um, yeah. and, and also, you know, it, it was a small office at the time. Um, a few people, uh, you know, and I, I figured, look, it, you know, if it, if it works out well, you know, it, it's potentially a great opportunity because you're going to get more opportunities with, with an, a smaller office that's growing mm. than, you know, an office back in the UK with, with a couple of hundred people already, you know, just coming off a graduate training scheme. So when you first, when you first joined the Singapore office, what was the size of that and what role did you go into? Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. So I think uh, I think we were six or seven, um, you know, people, um, you know, at, at the time. So I, I just went as, as a consultant, um, you know, within financial services. Um, uh, basically supporting uh, Kevin, um, who was who was running the office at the time. So, yeah, I think how the the history of the office had come about was, you know, I think it was you know beyond before the days of like you know RPOs and you know the, the, those those types of organisations. Um, Kevin had known a guy called Peter McNulty uh, from his time in Australia uh, for for a long time, um, and and Peter was basically working at uh, Credit Suisse, I believe, at the time. Um, and was looking, you know, I think it's sold a, um, a vision to to, to uh, the CS board that they discussed about moving a lot of roles uh, from sort of Hong Kong to Singapore. Um, and Kevin was, you know, uh, Kevin had been speaking to Peter and, and Peter said, can you come over, do a project for a period of time, um, you know, and um, help, you know, run adverts, interview people, um, you know, in, in the local market. Um so Kevin, I think, had done that for a few months, uh, helped sort of building out the sort of, you know, uh, product control, financial control, middle office uh, areas for, for, for Peter. 
Um, and then on the back of it, you know, there was a couple of other sort of major players in Singapore at the time, um, you know, and, and it suggested to, to, to Rob, Rob Walters that, you know, there was an opportunity to, to open an office. Um, so, so that's what they, what they did. Um, and I, you know, he'd been referred to, or I'd been referred to him um, through, through a mutual friend. You know, I was working in the UK and, you know, he, he'd give me a call one day because back, back then, sort of 98, 99, it was the back end of the financial crisis. Mm. And no, mm. one, no one wanted to go to Asia. Um, yeah. You know, everyone thought it was just bankrupt. Um, and as I said, you know, right place, right time, he gave me a call and I was like, you know, what, what, what have I got to lose? What's the downside? You know, great opportunity to, to go and live somewhere different. So when you first, so when you came in as a consultant, talk me through what, what that. So you were financial services permanent recruiter. Talk me through because you ended up being co-head, right? Uh, after a very short period of time, run it in terms yeah. of looking after that office. So talk us through that. Yeah. So um. So so when I arrived, <laughs> although um actually uh, uh, it's funny, I, I I nearly didn't arrive um because. <laughs> When kept when um, when I was asked to go out originally for the interview, um, I, I was flying out from uh, from the UK, um, and uh, when I arrived at the, uh, Heathrow um, to to collect my ticket, um, it hadn't actually been purchased. Um, it wasn't there. <laughs> Oops. Uh, and obviously, you know, at those, at those times, you know, when I was still today, you know, M- Michael Page, Rob Waters were very, very fierce rivals. Um, yes. yes. You know, you couldn't have any communication between the two. No. You know, it was, you know. You were dead uh, to them a, if you left. You were dead. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I just thought to myself, you know, is, is this like a wind up uh, from, from oh, one of the managers? No. <laughs> Michael Page. No, you didn't. No. Because I had to buy, you know, I had to buy this 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 ticket, and I had to pay, pay a full price ticket because I was buying it at the airport. Why did you have to um, buy it? Because they'd forgotten, or because they'd asked you yeah, to they, do it? it? Whatever I don't, whatever the mix of was, but <laughs> there was just no ticket for me at the airport. Um, Gosh, you know, in those brave. days, obviously, you know, graduate training schemes, we weren't exactly at flush with no, cash. exactly. Um, so I, I basically paid for this ticket and spread it over three credit cards. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the stress. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, so when, when I arrived in Singapore and stuff, obviously Kev was a bit mortified and very apologetic about it. Um, <laughs> but, but I thought, well, I'm going to have to take this job anyway because otherwise I might, I might not get my money back. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Maybe that was the ploy. That was that was Kev's idea in the first place. Yeah, yeah we'll have to work for that. Now. It's one of those sort of real sliding doors moments, you know, in terms of well, if I hadn't bought that ticket, you know, uh, would I be here? Well, actually, uh, some people may not have done. Right, yeah, they exactly. may not have been able to even. We might not have even had the credit cards to be able to do it, or just thought, oh, maybe this isn't this isn't the right move, and and decide not yeah. to. So that's interesting. So when you first so, got so in, anyway, then so when you first yeah, so, got so when, so when we got there, I think as I said, there was there was three people doing IT, uh, a lady doing commerce finance, uh, Javin uh, was obviously there. I think Alicia, uh, who yeah. went on to to be my PA for for many many years. Yeah. Uh, but bless her, the glut of punishments uh, was 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 always was there as well. Um, but um, yeah, and and then you know w- within a relatively short space of time, you know, uh, you know, unfortunately Kevin decided to, to, to leave. Um, and you know, and, and I think you know he's you know Kevin, he's you know he's a very sort of charismatic, yeah. positive, guy, you know, yeah. energetic individual. Yeah. He's, he's sort of quite out there. Um, you know, and I think obviously when, when you're a relatively small office, you're buying into 
those individuals as uh, you know probably Very more so, so than the actual business yeah. itself yeah um so you know when, when he left obviously you know in a relatively short space of time you know people were obviously sort of upset you know concerned uh, and so forth um and the there was a gentleman uh, who, who had just returned to, to, to Robert Walters, a guy called Richard Parnell, who was based over in Hong Kong at the time. Um, and he was, he was sorting out some issues in Hong Kong. Um, and then obviously Singapore was, was going to come under himself. Um, so <laughs> I think he, he basically had a multitude of issues uh, going on. Um, and, and obviously then this happened and, and it, it came over. And I, I suppose young, cocky 24-year-old, you know, where went for a beer with him because uh, he was obviously scratching his head probably thinking we're probably gonna have to close this down um and i said oh don't worry about it Dick. you know we'll, we'll sort it out leave it with me it'll be all fine um <laughs> and it was and, uh, and, and bizarrely he sort of you know i, I think he, he probably thought look I'll, I'll just part this for a few months um <laughs> See how he and, and then i'll deal with the issues that i've got to deal with in hong kong because that's more pressing um and then i'll come back to singapore and then you know as i said right place sort of right time you know the markets really started to come back you know post-asian financial crisis um you know and then we, we obviously started to look to grow so uh he probably just thought well you know seems to be going okay i'll just leave it good for the time being and, yeah and what there were we you go. doing for the first few years what was that focus then i think um it was in terms of you know what we were focusing on it, it was very much Obviously, looking at making the office profitable, uh, growing the financial services uh, desk, um, commerce finance, and then starting to look at diversifying into other areas. So, you know, sales and marketing, HR, supply chain. Um, so, you know, at the time, as I mentioned, there were a couple of other sort of large branded mid-senior level recruitment firms that sort of had a head start on us. Mm. Um, so it was, it was a question of sort of playing, playing catch up building our brand uh, uh you know i think you remember that we, we put a lot of emphasis on terms of you know selling adverts you know in, in the straits times oh, um yeah. you know in the appointment sections oh. yeah uh you know build, build, building that you know and and obviously you know attracting people to the business and looking to grow yeah the saturday mornings were a different time weren't they you'd get the straight times open where were we were we the first few pages where was michael page did we get did we get what we wanted you know the positioning of it was the most important thing wasn't it it's interesting how, yeah, how, how many how many adverts have we run versus everybody else yeah gosh it's interesting so at that particular time then what would you say was probably your biggest challenge then um, I think you've got to remember back then, the market was just a lot smaller. Uh, I think when I first came to Singapore in 99, population was probably around about 3.7 million. Mm. Whereas today, it's what, 5.9, nearly mm. 6 million, mm. um, which is nearly like, you know, over a 50% growth, you know, just in terms of the population. Uh, and I'd also come from a contract market background. Uh, that's what I would have been doing in, in the UK. Um, and at the time, there was no real sort of concept of a contract market here. It was all no. very permanent. Um, you know, clients were very, very used to hiring themselves, using their own sort of personal network. Yeah. Um, so it was very much a process of educating, you know, both clients and candidates in terms of the benefits of using, you know, a recruitment firm, the values that we could add, uh, what we could bring to the table and so forth. Um, and then, you know, I suppose also, to be honest, you know, another big challenge at that time for me was obviously my age and my experience. Yeah, um, 24, yeah. you know, only done sort of one year out of a graduate sort of recruitment program. And, you know, someone like Kevin leaving, who, who had obviously a lot more experience and being quite sort of charismatic, 
Um, You're charismatic yeah. as well, but he's just, he's okay. out there, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I don't he's, like, he's I really extrovert like, out there. No, he you're is, not boring. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you're he, just he trying is. to step into someone else's shoes then, into, because he was very highly networked, wasn't he? he, he yeah, and, and I think the, the thing that I said to myself, you know, the first thing I thought to myself is just don't try and be like Kevin or, or somebody else, mm. just be yourself, you know, because mm. otherwise... It's just going to get very tiring, and people are going to see that through yeah. that very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, and and the reality is, the other people in the office were, were, were older than me as well. Um, yeah. You know, um, so. So how did you get? You know, out, I, how did you? How did? Because that's interesting. You say that because I know someone. I can't remember who now approached me about that, which was managing a team of people that are older, and I, you know, how did how did you deal with that? Um. As I said, it's just been sort of being myself or, or being authentic. And, and also, you know, it, it, it was a small office. Um, you know, we, we'd all sort of joined, you know, to, to look to build something and do mm. something. Um, Kev's was sort of very sort of down to earth sort of person. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think it was more a case of, okay, look, Kev's gone, uh, respects his decision, whatever else, but, you know, we're, we're here to do something, you know, let's mm. work together to do it rather than, or, you know, I'm suddenly now the boss and I'm going to tell everybody, you know, what to do. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was more just in terms of, like, you know, let's, let's all sort of muck in together. Um, and, and rather than, you know, me feeling like I was suddenly now sort of head of the office and, and telling people what to do, it was more as a group of peers, really. You know, we, we were looking to build something. I think you're um, right. I don't think it was hierarchical at all. Um, I think everyone got on really well that they were socializing with each other outside of work and in work and but there was, it was always that very goal orientated it was um yeah I, I think it was a very relaxed well, not relaxed but a very collaborative environment so what surprised you the most at that time when you first started sort of building that business up what sort of surprised you the most I suppose looking back, you know, I think we, we, we were really very well supported by some people who just wanted to see us, really wanted to see us succeed and give us an opportunity. Um, you know, I think it could have been very easy for, for clients to have closed the door. Um, mm. And, I, you know, to be honest, I think that's still very much relevant today. You know, even in my own business, you know, people will give you an opportunity. Mm. Um, but you just need to make sure you don't let them down. Yeah. Um, you know, it's that classic sort of over-promise, under-deliver. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, pe- people are, you know, are prepared to give people a chance, an opportunity. Uh, but you, you, you need to take that chance. Um, and then also, as I said, timing, we were in a fortunate position, um, you know, from, you know, in terms of 97, 98, the Asian financial crisis, the region was hit hard. But by 99, things were starting to recover. And, and then by 2000, the, the market was pretty buoyant. Um, so more banks... Uh, we're coming into Singapore, mm. setting up headquarters here, mm. corporates um, in terms of government incentives, what the EDB was doing uh, in terms of putting their, re- their regional HQs here. Um, so, so by nature, we had, we had access uh, to sort of senior level decision makers um, and therefore the ability to really partner and, and consult with them. Um, whereas, you know, UK and London was already, you know, I felt quite a fairly overgrowth commoditized market even back then. Um, where Singapore, you know, was was more of an immature market, um, so it was, it was really refreshing and, and fun to work mm. in. From a, from an internal talent, well, from a talent perspective or hiring talent and, and developing talent, what what risk did you or did you take any risks on people that that really did pay off? Because I always think there's a lot of people that are hiring at the moment, or not at the moment, but um, are tasked with um, hiring recruiters into their business over time, and I think that 
conversation comes up a lot in just term, in terms of just making sure they get the right person on board. Was there some sort of recipe for success in terms of the types of people that you would hire that, that did turn out well? Look, again, it's, it's different times. Um, you know, for me, you know, at that point in time, you know, if, if you don't mind me saying, you know, some people would say, you know, hiring you was a risk. Um, yeah, you know, if you well. look at it in terms of, you know, similar age uh, and experience, um, you know, to, to myself, you know, although you're a lot younger than me by a whole sort of 24 hours. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, no, no Asian experience or network, um, sort of moving overseas at a time mm. when you're in a, in a serious relationship but not yet married, um, mm. pure contract background. Um, but ultimately, I could see financial services was 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 taking off, and, and I figured, in order for it to you know make it work, you know I, I'd need someone who, who had a solid work ethic, someone I could trust, somebody with plenty of you know of, of energy, no fear, um, you know. And ultimately, I suppose it didn't work out too badly after all, did it? Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think you're you're right in in the. It is a risk in that, I suppose, if you're moving someone to the other side of the world, if you are taking an expatriate to come in. But I think the difference is the development, the support when you get there. I think if you're leaving someone just to kind of fend for themselves, I think Singapore can be a pretty hard place to kind of get your own network and, and transition in from contract to permanent. Yeah. I thought it was really hard, actually. But I think that- so well, I think it is about I think support. As, as we were then looking to build, you know, the recruiters at the time, a lot, a lot of people in the market were expats. Um, so, mm. you know, we made a conscious decision to, to, to proactively hire Singaporeans yes. into the business. Yes. Um, and that wasn't easy because, you know, we, we, we're looking, we were looking to hire people from, from industry, people from professional careers, because the competition wasn't that large. And, and ultimately the business model wasn't to hire from, from competitors. Um, it was to build and grow our own, um, you know, and, and obviously recruitment at that time as an immature market was a relatively immature industry. Um, so, you know, we're, we're interviewing people, you know, our likes of the big four accounting firms, maybe legal firms, yeah. you know, people who've got, you know, professional, you know, what they consider, consider professional industry. careers. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I always remember you know, when we're talking to individuals and that they're obviously liking the idea, but, you know, one of the questions we'd always ask them is, okay, you know, if, if you go home now and tell your parents that you're sort of turning your back on a professional career yeah. to come into recruitment, you know, how, how are they going to react to that? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think, you know, it was, in, in terms of, for us, by nature, you know, we, 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 we were taking risks uh, on individuals um, mm. because they didn't have prior recruitment experience. Um, and likewise, they were also taking a risk coming into a, you know, a relatively new industry, um, you know, and doing something, you know, related to what they've done, but, but, but quite different. So are we seeing that now that people that are moving into recruitment are coming from industry? Um, I think in you know some some uh, some firms uh, will, will, will will still look at it the senior um, level it, executive search yeah will. I mean, mm. so I think if you know if you're looking at the search firms yeah uh, in terms of partners and whatever you know they're they're looking for people who've got that those networks those contacts have been you know a regional head GM uh, CIO whatever of, of, of businesses um, you know and you know perhaps very specialist uh, firms that focus on you know, a particular area, so maybe pharmaceutical or something like that, you know, may well take people uh, from those backgrounds. Um, you know, but, but, but I, I think that the, the reality is, you know, a, a lot of recruitment firms 
you know, are, are looking for people with experience these days because, you know, yeah. it's, a, it's a very, very competitive market. Yeah. And, you, that, you know, organizations don't necessarily have the, the, the patience, the, organizations, the organizational patience to wait for people to build. Yeah, no, that's true. So far, let's, let's fast forward to the, you know, the big role that you had within Robert Waters. Talk me through the, the area that you covered, the countries that, the, the size of that business because it was it was huge um and then from there share with me what would you say was sort of you know your biggest challenge as a leader looking after that that huge remit um i, I think as i said you know in, in the early days in terms of kept going and, and then sort of looking to grow you know the, the, those were the challenges um you know um as as the business grew locally and then the region you know it was then sort of putting a management structure in place uh where people felt they were given the right opportunities mm. where they felt motivated and challenged um you know the way they weren't feeling sort of they were getting stale or bored um keeping a harmonious balance uh, as well so you don't have the sort of politics or jealousy creeping in over why did somebody get a promotion or get those mm. deaths and i mm. didn't and everything else um, so it was very much balancing that growth, ensuring that you also weren't going backwards because obviously it's always about, you know, with, with large firms, 20, 30% more every, every yeah. year. Um, <laughs> oh, so, God. you know, it, the pressure. It, it's always sort of, yeah, pushing forwards and then looking at potential new, you know, new areas in terms of, you know, could, could we diversify into, into new teams, uh, new, uh, new business opportunities. Uh, countries, um, and then looking at, you know, who do we identify to go and run those countries, the whole sort of setup, uh, legal background and framework of, of setting those countries up. Because, you know, for, for, mo for most countries at that time, um, you know, it was, you know, a, a 12, 18 month process. Um, it, it, it wasn't like, you know, where in places like you know, Singapore, where you, you, can, you can get up and running relatively quickly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these countries take quite a long time. And then, Obviously, ensuring you've got that talent pipeline coming through, whilst also retaining your top performers. Um, so yeah, ultimately, as you're growing, you're, you're just spinning, you know, a lot of plates at the same time. And do you think? And do, was there any sort of key differences in terms of recruitment styles or approaches? You know, compared to say, for, you know, to China, Vietnam, Taiwan, and Japan, all the you know those kind of markets. How, how different were they? Types of people you're hiring, or the processes, or what was fundamentally different? Yeah, it is because I mean, ultimately, you know, you're looking at emerging markets versus perhaps more mature markets. Yeah. I mean, by the time that we were looking at, you know, places like you know Vietnam, Indonesia, Thailand, um, you know, Singapore, Hong Kong are, are quite mature. Um, so, but but then for me, I, I've always enjoyed those markets because you know I think you just get more access, you know, to, to yeah. key decision makers. Um, your your level of engagement with them is, is greater uh, and. I think you're really able to consult and advise them. Um, yeah, I agree. Because also for, for a lot of these guys as well in these countries, they sometimes feel quite removed from their own HQs. Um, That's true. You know, um, and in terms of, you know, they've got to do business plans. Um, you know, they, they've got to go back to their bosses, um, you know, with, with, with market intel. So they really appreciate, you know, you know people like ourselves, going to them, telling them what, what, what's happening in terms of, you know, the, that market information and that you can, you know, and that they really do rely on you, you know, to, to, to help them um, because sometimes they do feel quite distant. Uh, I mean, I remember great story, you know, post GFC um, where there's, you know, and if you remember G GFC, 
a lot of companies in Asia were under a lot of pressure uh, from a revenue perspective to make up for, for particularly European or American organizations that were, were, were really struggling. Mm. So there's a lot of pressure on business leaders in this part of the world uh, to deliver, you know, numbers. Um, and I remember I'd gone to some, some, some round table and, uh, and, and people were sharing their experiences and having, having, uh, talking about these issues. And there was one guy who said, look, I, I can solve the problem for you. He goes, a couple of months ago, um, you know, I'm getting told to do this and that by, by the guys in, the, uh, in, in America. So I, I organized a regional offsite um, and we did it in Vietnam, you know, brought the guys over, brought some serious lead, uh, senior leaders over from, uh, from America. Um, and they all arrived on the sort of Monday evening. And I said, look, Tuesday morning, we'll, we'll just have a bit free and easy, get, get over the flights or whatever else. And then look, there's this restaurant we'll, we'll meet at uh, and we'll all, we'll, we'll all meet there for a lunch and sort of uh, lazy afternoon and then get going on, on the Wednesday sort of thing. Um, anyway, um, basically, I think, uh, I don't know, he had, he had about 20 senior guys from, from the States uh, or, you know, Europe come out. Um, and only three people made it to the lunch. Um, I think one had got run over uh, by a motorbike no. that would have been hospitalized. No. Uh, another guy, you know, got, got into uh, like a fight with a traffic policeman. <laughs> he, he, couldn't, he, couldn't, he couldn't communicate with the guy to try and find where this restaurant was, oh, et cetera, et cetera. No. So it all obviously kicked off on the Wednesday morning. These Americans were going mental in terms of why, you know, why did you, you choose this and what didn't tell us where to go and blah, blah, blah. And his simple response was, if you can't even find a restaurant in this town, don't tell me how to run my business. Yeah, perfect. It was brilliant. Love it. Absolutely, yeah, classic, I that. absolute classic. Yeah, I think that's a really good. It's a really good point, isn't it? It's a really, really good point. I, I do, I do agree with you that it is refreshing to recruit in markets that aren't mature. Though I think there's a, it's a really lovely buzz, and you feel that you are adding a lot of value. You're not sort of the twentieth person walking in the room. That you are able to consult and build that relationship. I think it's really nice. You have been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.